Boy, youth camp, what an awesome experience. I encourage you guys. Make your kid, I mean, get your kids signed up and uh, whatever you got to do. But, uh, man, they'll take good care of them there. So you guys ready to have fun this morning? Yeah. Right? You guys ready for some more good news? Yeah. If the sermons you're listening to don't sound like good news, they may not be the good news. So stop listening to them, all right? Eat the meat and spit out the bones. What are you doing eating bones? All right, that was just free. Wasn't even in the notes. That one was just all free there. So, all right, yeah, stop eating bones. All right, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 14. We are in part 23 of a series. We are, we are on home stretch here. So what do we got? We got blind Bartimaeus, the 10 lepers, and uh, Malchus's ear getting chopped off. I've never heard anyone do a sermon on Malchus's ear getting chopped off. So I can't wait to see what I'm going to say on that one. So here we are in part 23. There's 26 healing stories of Jesus. And the idea behind this series is we're going to learn to heal like Jesus. We're going to learn to heal the same way the disciples learn. They learn by watching Jesus. So it's not that we're just watching being impressed. We're watching because we're going to be able to heal the same way that he does. He's a, uh, we're, uh, he was a man in right relationship with the Father. He's the Son of God. Guess what? We've been adopted as his sons. We have the same relationship with the Father as Jesus does. Yes. And we have the same Holy Spirit whom he was dependent upon. So this is, uh, this is good news. So Luke chapter 14, one Sabbath. Oh, boy. Anytime there's a healing story with the word Sabbath, and you know it's just about to be some, there's no conflict resolution, it's just conflict. One Sabbath, when he, meaning Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. I'm sure just to take notes, right? Probably just to, just to learn some things, yeah. Verse 2, and behold, there was a man before him, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. No one knows what dropsy is, but we'll get to it here in a second. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. All right, so the time frame of this miracle is it's moving closer and closer to the death of Jesus. And so the miracles that we were looking at weeks ago, those were the glory days. That's when Jesus is up in the north. He's in the hills of the galley. People would sit and listen to him teach for days. Everything's going great up there. But as we get closer and closer to Judea and Jerusalem, that's where the Pharisees are. That's where the religious are. And they are not happy with Jesus. He is upsetting everything. And there they are gathering evidence. And so um, they want to accuse Jesus on two points. We've gone over this before, but it's a quick review. Uh, one, that he was a heretic. He was contradicting not the law. He was contradicting their understanding of the law. How many of you guys know God will never contradict his word, but he may uh, contradict your understanding of his word? Amen. I don't know about you. I've had to change my mind on a few things, and I'm guessing I'll have to change my mind on a few things more as we, uh, as we go through these things, right? And so, um, so yeah, he's contradicting the way that they understood the law of God. And the second thing is um, that they couldn't contradict his miracles. We saw this in Matthew 12 a couple of weeks ago. They said, listen, we can't, we can't contradict your miracles. We can't say nothing supernatural is happening, but you're doing it by the prince of demons. You're doing it by Beelzebub. I can't ever say that name. It's just too weird of a name. Beelzebub. And, um, and so they're saying, listen, we recognize the supernatural in your life, but you're doing it. You're a sorcerer or you're a witch. So that's what they were looking to do is condemn him as a heretic and to condemn him as a witch. And so with that kind of evidence, they could put him to death. Okay? So Luke chapter 14, verse 1. Let's go through the story. <clears throat> One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. That word, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the word carefully there means to scrutinize, but it has a malicious intent to it. So it was like a sinister watching. They're watching every gesture, every word, everything that he's going to do. They're just looking for something, right? It's kind of like a police stakeout. <clears throat> you already know the person's guilty. Now you're just looking for evidence. Right? So that's what they're doing. They've already condemned Jesus in their mind. Now they're, now they're uh, setting up a scenario where they can gather some more evidence here. 
And so uh, this had to be one of the most uh, intense dinners ever conducted in this city. Because we're going to see here this whole thing is a trap. If you were to read the rest of the chapter, Jesus um, is not diplomatic in his response to these Pharisees. He is roasting their britches in this whole thing. You guys only invite your rich friends that can do stuff. You know, once you go out and invite the blind and the lame, and you're looking for positions of authority. I mean, here's this rich Pharisee with all of his rich Pharisee friends, kind of this VIP event type of thing, and he is letting them have it, okay? And so uh, I, I, they must have had indigestion over this dinner. I mean, they were just, I don't think they were enjoying the meal. It is a tense meal, okay? They're setting a trap for Jesus. So here it is on the Sabbath day, which begins at sundown on Friday and ends at sundown on Saturday, and so uh, traditionally in Israel right now, it's like 6 p.m. Friday night, 6 p.m. Saturday night, that's the Sabbath. So Jesus was a good Jew. He would have been to the synagogue. So here he is having an afternoon kind of dinner at the Pharisee's house, probably around 3 o'clock, okay? So here's the picture. The synagogue service is over. Jesus is going over to the house. You'll find out later in the chapter that we're not going to go over this guy. He's a rich Pharisee, and... Um, and uh, the Pharisees were almost like this cult within Judaism. Not that they were so separate from it, but they were fanatics within it. And uh, they, were, they were fanatical about keeping the law. And uh, everything they did uh, on the outward made you understand that they were very important and they were very dedicated to the law. So every Jewish male wore a, a Jewish parasol that had uh, fringes on the end. Their fringes were extra long, so everybody knew, we pray way more than you. Okay, that was the message. And so in Deuteronomy 6, God talks about binding the scriptures on your forehead, binding them on your, on your wrist. So the Jewish males would have had these little phylactery boxes, but the Pharisees, they wore extra large boxes. So they know that you, they took the word of God way more serious than you're taking it. Imagine if they had the printing press, they would have like a Bible carrying around like the, ca- the size of Captain America's shield. Like, like, look at my giant Bible. Like, look, that's your little Bible? You got it on your iPhone? That's a joke, right? And so they were... Uh, so yeah, they were, they were just letting everybody know how spiritual their, their whole life was about their outward performance and making you feel small, right? Uh, for the most part, they were wealthy. And so when you're picturing the Pharisee's house that are going over, let's just, let's just say it's the size of this room. In the middle of the, of the house would have been a courtyard that was open to the sky. There would have been a garden around it and kind of a, a fence barrier around it. And there would have been a table in the middle. And they didn't have chairs. that kind of reclined on couches. So here's the scene. is Jesus coming in. And um, they're reclining on these couches. There would have been a crowd, uh, crowd uh, gathering around, uh, you know, looking at, the, at this VIP dinner. And in verse 2, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. So Jesus, he's uh, reclining at the table, and all of a sudden, right across they sit from them is this man with dropsy. And you have to ask, what is the man doing there? Okay, he's not, he's not wealthy, he's not a Pharisee. I mean, the, uh, the Pharisees are the ones who are letting people in. Why are they letting this person in here? Okay, you can see this is a trap. You can almost scalp tickets for this event. It's like Jesus, the Pharisees, the rich guy's house, the tension, everyone's wanting to see, how does this guy get there? Okay, and, and Luke makes a big point of it. Behold, take a look at this. Can you believe this is happening? There's a man with dropsy here. <clears throat> the word dropsy, um, it's really kind of difficult to translate. So the New Testament, like I said, was written in Greek. Um, <clears throat> I'm not very good at Greek. I didn't do great at it in seminary. And so the word is hydropikos. And so we understand hydro, meaning water, okay? And so many have suggested that dropsy is edema. It's that swelling that's caused by excessive water building up, sometimes from kidney failure, sometimes from congestive heart failure, whatever the condition is. The man, his, his limbs, so other translations say abnormal swelling of the body. <clears throat> um, another one says suffering from edema. Another one says body was swollen with fluid. Uh, the Passion Translation says, suffering with his limbs swollen with fluid. 
So here's this guy. He's, he's swollen up. He's probably having a hard time breathing. It's, it's just obvious from who he is, from the way he is, that he needs medical help. He needs, he needs some kind of healing. And so how did this guy get in front of Jesus at the fancy dinner? So here's what I want to suggest to you. The Pharisees put him there for a setup. They're inviting Jesus to their house on the Sabbath. And they're like, if we stick this obviously ill guy right in front of Jesus at the table, we're going to get some more evidence. We, we know, I mean, they, they know the formula. Jesus plus Sabbath plus sick person plus Pharisees equals conflict. Like, like, like we, we know the formula. They've done it many times before in the New Testament, right? And so if you've been with us um, in, in the previous, you know the Pharisees, they've got their own little laws about the Sabbath. Now, this isn't biblical law. They took the biblical law, which was God's expression of love to humanity. It's like, this is what loving God and love people look like. This is, this is supposed to, like, it's, how many you know thou shalt not kill? That's not like a real burdensome law. That's a, it's a good, that's a good expression of how to treat each other, right? So they added all their own laws to it. And so, example, um, you are not allowed to heal or help or take away pain on the Sabbath, okay? And so, you know, I mean, their, their attitude was, you know, you've had it this long, you might as well wait a little bit, wait a little bit longer. And they, they, the, I mean, the very meaning we're going to see of Sabbath was to restore and to make whole. And they're saying, listen, you can't even do these little things. And so they've seen Jesus do it over and over. They're going to gather more evidence against him. And here's this guy. He's just kind of a pawn in the whole thing. You can see the Pharisees don't care about this guy. It's not like, oh, Here's this friend. We're so excited. Jesus is coming. No, 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 no. They're not doing that. This guy's just a pawn. Probably doesn't even know why he's there. In verse 3, and Jesus responded to the lawyers. Isn't it interesting it says Jesus responded because there was no question. Okay? You don't, you don't just respond into thin air. You can see they're placing this guy, and Jesus knows exactly what it is. That's what tells me this is a trap. They put this guy in front of Jesus, and he responds um, to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So obviously, they're putting this guy right here so that this situation will happen. And so um, and it, it's interesting because it said Jesus answered. Something was done that demanded a response from him. He's saying, I see exactly what's going on here, okay? And um, if, you know, if the guy had come and asked for healing, Jesus would have responded with healing. But that's not what was happening. It was a trap, and now Jesus is responding to the, the heart behind their trap. One thing I love about this setup you guys ready for this? The Pharisees knew if they stick a sick person in front of Jesus, no matter how tense the situation, Jesus was going to heal him. They were so confident in the healing power and the healing compassion of Jesus, they knew he couldn't help himself but heal. I wish every believer was as confident in that as the Pharisees were. Can you imagine if the church had that kind of confidence? Man, if a sick person comes to Jesus, he's going to get healed. Have you noticed Jesus seems to go out of his way to heal on the Sabbath? I mean, look, look at the story here. Like, like I said, it's probably 2 or 3 o'clock. You know, they've, they've had a good synagogue uh, service. Jesus wasn't asked to speak. We looked a couple weeks ago. That was the last time he was asked to speak. He's a good Jew. He goes there. It's 2 or 3 o'clock. Sabbath ends at 6 p.m. Couldn't he just compromise a little bit? Why ruffle all the feathers? I get everybody upset. Why not just wait three hours, heal him? Nobody cares at that point, Right? I mean, he's been in this condition a while. Sabbath's over in a few hours. Why all the drama, Jesus? And uh, it isn't that Jesus loved an argument. I think some people read the Bible with a different lens. Like, they love arguments, and so they see Jesus going and sticking in people's faces. Guys, that's sinful behavior if you're walking around trying to tick people off all the time under the name of your religious freedom or something like that. Jesus wasn't walking. Thank you for that one amen. I hear, Do I hear a second? <laughs> Listen, we all know people who have OPD obnoxious personality disorder. And they, 
and they think that this is how God made me. You know, no, that's, that's how you've chosen to be, okay? And so, um, but he, uh, but you, so Jesus wasn't going around just making people mad just for the kicks of it and just exposing their religious spirits, all right? Healing on the Sabbath was one of those issues where there was no compromise. There is no middle ground. You're going to see when he under, Jesus understood the purpose of the Sabbath, and to not heal on the Sabbath would have contradicted the Father's heart. So every time we see uh, someone sick on the Sabbath, Jesus never waited. He just healed them, right? And uh, Jesus always had a purpose for what he did. He said, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say, right? So what's he doing? He's revealing the heart of the Father on the Sabbath. And I want to say this. Jesus deliberately healed on the Sabbath day to show the Pharisees that their position, it contradicted and denied the whole position of the Sabbath. Like, you guys have got this whole thing wrong. And so Jesus is saying, there's no compromise in this. I've got to show you what the original intent of the Sabbath was. So what was so special about the Sabbath? So the Sabbath was the seventh day. It was the, it was the uh, seventh day of creation. It didn't start, a lot of people think it started in the Ten Commandments. Um, it didn't start in that. He said, remember the Sabbath day. That was the commandment. Remember what God did back here. So there was something that happened back here. So the seventh day, um, it, was, uh, it, it began, the, um, the Sabbath began the um, ended the week of creation. Okay, remember it says, in the beginning God created, right? Heavens and the earth, stars, all those type of things, fish, sea, sea and then fish. And um, on the sixth day he made man, and on the seventh day he rested. I want you guys to get this picture, okay? So right at the beginning of creation, the, the seventh day, this is the first week of creation, it says God rested from all his works, okay? So when it says God rested, it doesn't mean he's like, man, TGIF, thank me, it's Friday. It's like, it's like, <laughs> I've been working all week, um, my almightiness has been drained, and I'm going to take a nap. I think I've earned it. Like that, that's, that's what it means when it says uh, God rested. So I remember I wrote my uh, first book, my only book, and um, best book I've ever written. And man, I am, I'm, I'm working this thing. Like, I'm, I'm researching and rearranging and rearranging things. And it finally got to a point where it's like, you know what? It's done. I can't add one more period, one more comma, one more footnote. If you're in my book, I think it's got like 186 footnotes because I didn't have anything original to say. And so the, um, <clears throat> it was like, it's done. It was, there was a point where it was like, it is finished. And there was more exhilaration at that point than there was writing the whole book, right? You imagine like a, an artist, you know, they painted this picture and they know one more brushstroke would ruin the picture. It's, it is finished. It's completely perfect. And they put down their brushes and they rest. Well, that's what God did. Here's uh, Genesis chapter 131. And God saw everything that he'd made, and behold, there's that word again, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished all the work that he had done. He's putting his brush stroke down, his, his paintbrush down. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work and he had done, that he had done in creation. It's interesting. God said uh, that his creation was, it was good. There's only one thing that's good, and that's God. So when he called his creation good, he said, this is a reflection of me. This creation perfectly reflects who I am. He says, look at creation, look at me. He said, I couldn't have added one extra blade of grass, one extra tree, one more body of water. And it says, and God rested because it was perfect. It was finished. Nothing needed to be added to it. Okay, that was the Sabbath day. I want you guys to get this. Man's first day of living was during God's rest. Okay, Friday morning, the animals, the apes, all the primates are made. And then God rests from creating. And at the end of Friday, he says, let us make man in our own image, puts him into his sleep. And when man wakes up, everything is completely perfect and finished. There's nothing he has to lift a finger to add to it. 
The first day of man was rest, okay? God said, it's done, it's good, you can contribute nothing. In fact, if I made you on the first day, you'd probably screw it up because you'd be trying to help me do, do it all the whole time. Man's always trying to help God out and give him a reason to bless, and God's like, I've already done it all. When mankind came along, there was already fruit on the trees. What does man have to do? We just had to pluck it, eat it. It's all there. Sabbath means God's completion, God's satisfaction, his rest. And God said, every seventh day, I want you to remember the Sabbath. I want you to remember that you woke up in a world where I provided everything for you, and your job is just to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Enter into my rest and give me thanks that I did a perfect job. Here's the idea of the Sabbath. Have a fun day and remember who made it fun. Don't work seven days and take one off. Uh, don't work seven days. Take one off and celebrate me and rest. And what happened is sin came in and it blitzed God's creation. It's, uh, it's, it's imagine if I had my book written and someone came into my computer and, and uh, deleted a couple chapters. It's like, what? I had this perfect thing and you, you have this perfect painting and someone takes black paint and your beautiful vibrant color and just slaps paint all over it. It's like, like what you're marring, like, like that painting would be scarred. Right? And that's what sin did. It came in and it scarred and it marred creation. And then along came with it with sickness and death and grief and the right of demons to afflict human beings. And Jesus said when he came to restore creation, he said he's bringing about a new rest. One of the pictures of, uh, of uh, salvation in, in uh, the book of Hebrews is a new Sabbath. It's a new rest. What, what, what's that mean? It means that God did everything completely for you. And the moment you woke up from being born again, woke up from your sleep, you woke up being born again... Everything was completely done for you, and all you had to do was say, thank you, Jesus. I'm telling you, this is better than that little response. All right, there we go. <clears throat> we wake up to a salvation where you and I have contributed nothing. Jesus has accomplished everything on our behalf, and all we can do is pluck the fruit and say, thank you, Jesus, so be it unto me. So, of course, when the Messiah comes, and uh, he would heal people and make them whole on the Sabbath. What's he doing? He's bringing it back to the original content of creation. God did everything. He's bring, it was perfect. He's bringing you back to that perfection. He's bringing you back to that wholeness that God created you where he said, it's good. He's bringing you back to that good where you are reflecting the image of dad. The Pharisees, they interpreted it a different way. They actually made uh, the Sabbath a tyrant and a slave that degraded men. People hated waking up on the Sabbath day because there were so many rules that they, if they did one thing wrong, they're going to break it. So, um, you, so sometimes you would put shoes together, you know, like put little nails in the heel. You couldn't wear those shoes on the Sabbath because it was lifting a tool, because a nail was a tool. You couldn't wear those shoes on the Sabbath day. Like, you think it's difficult picking out stuff in your closet. Just imagine the Sabbath day back in the Pharisee days. A woman um, couldn't look in the mirror on Sabbath because she, if she saw a gray hair and plucked it, she'd be doing the work of a hairdresser. It was not allowed to do it. These, these were actual of their silly, insane, stupid little rules that they added to the beautiful picture of God's law. In the beginning, God had this perfect picture of creation. It was to be a gift to man. Sabbath was to be God's fun day. The idea that you relax and you celebrate what a fantastic God we, we have. And the Pharisees added their stupid, insane laws and made it a burden. That portrayed God as cruel, and he was ever saying, you can't do this, you can't do that. What does religion do today? It's the same message. You can't do that. Or here's the message of religion. You're not doing nearly enough. Their phylacteries aren't big enough. Your tassels aren't long enough. Your prayers aren't enough. You're not doing enough. And Jesus came with this message, I did it all for you. I took care of everything completely. 
All you have to wake up and begin to pluck its fruit. If you had a toothache on the Sabbath, you couldn't put anything in your mouth to ease the pain because it was the Sabbath, and you weren't allowed to ease pain on the Sabbath. Even in Israel today, did I tell you guys I've been to Israel? (laughs) They love me there. They totally love me there. And so um, even in Israel today, they have the Sabbath elevator, right? I think I told you guys about this. And so we we didn't know anything about this. So here it is like Friday, like 7 o'clock. We're trying to go down to eat. And the Sabbath elevator, it stops on every single floor. I'm like, who's pushing these buttons? Because pushing buttons in Israel today would be considered doing work. And so the elevator is automatic. We, we found out the hallway. So we got in our room, and it's like roasting there because it's, you know, the Middle East. And uh, so we turned our, our air down to like 60, you know, to like try to get it super cool. And then it kicked on the, the, um, the Sabbath air conditioning where you can't change it. It's like whatever it's set on is stuck. From Friday at 6 o'clock to Saturday at 6 o'clock. So Mary and I, like, sleeping in our parkas, like, chilling with each other. It's the best snuggling I've had in decades. It was this awesome. (laughs) So the Pharisees, they create all these extra rules around the Sabbath. And they're like the KGB there to enforce all of the rules, right? And so here's Jesus. He's confronting the KGB. He's confronting the, uh, the creators of these insane rules. And he's, he's claiming back the Sabbath rest is God's rest. It's him making things perfect. It's making things whole. And therefore, it's fitting to heal on the Sabbath day. This is exactly the purpose of the Sabbath, is to bring things back to wholeness. Okay, we're going to come back to verse 4 in a moment. Let's go to verse 5. Luke 14, verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Jesus is saying, here's this man with dropsy. God never made man to be like this, and you're not going to allow me to rescue him? Uh, because your law has, is more important than mankind. When rules become more important than people, you've seriously lost the way of God. Yeah. Jesus is saying you've lost sight of the fact that human beings are of such immense worth that he gave them gift, a Sabbath as a gift. Remember in other places he says, um, man was not made for Sabbath, Sabbath was made for man. You weren't made to obey all these rules on the Sabbath day, it was given to you as a gift, and you guys have lost your way. Matthew 10, 31, he says, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus has got lots of different ways of saying this. He's just saying, listen, this man is of more value than all of your rules and than an ox falling in a ditch. I heard this story. Um, is about a, uh, it's probably one of those preacher illustrations. So I don't know if this is actually true, but it sounds really good. So can we just pretend it's true for a moment? One day I was digging through the garbage. No, it wasn't me. And so um, I heard the story about a man. He was in a garbage dump, and uh, he had found an old uh, broken violin. It was broken in, ha- broken in half. The strings were missing. It uh, had huge gouges and huge scratches. And the guy who was, found, it was digging through the garbage was an expert in violins. And he recognized underneath all the gouges and scratches was the name of a master craftsman who had actually made this, uh, made this violin. And he realized it was a priceless violin, and somehow it had wound up on the garbage heap. So he took the violin out of the garbage, and over a period of months, he restored it back to its original beauty. Okay? Now, some people might be thinking, how did it get like this? That's religion's question. Why is this person in this garbage heap? Why is this person in this condition? Who cares? There's a masterpiece that's been found that's in disrepair, but we can bring it back to, uh, bring it back to its original condition. I want you guys to get this. Your worth, uh, your worth transcends and swallows up your track record. Your worth transcends your track record. I don't care how it got there. That violin trans- all, transcends all of the history of how it got there. Heard another story about a man, uh, this one I do know to be true, 
um, who attended Oxford University in England. Maybe you guys know uh, C.S. Lewis was a professor there at Oxford University, famous author. One day, um, the guy was attending school, and he would go on, um, <clears throat> on Fridays to the, uh, to the bookstore, to the used bookstore, and they would always have a pile of 50-cent books that they're kind of old, tattered. And he began searching through it, and he saw this one. It was, an, uh, it was by C.S. Lewis. He opens it up. It was a first edition and had been signed by C.S. Lewis. Now, the book was old and, and needed a lot of repairs. This guy's like, I'd have paid $500 for it, not 50 cents for it. So he buys it and over a period of months restores it back to its perfection. Okay? Well, Jim, how did it get in the, uh, in the trash bin? How did it get in this junk pile? Who cares how it got in the junk pile? It was a treasure. And when someone recognized it, they put worth on it and treated it how it was supposed to be worth. Its worth transcends its track record. It's worth restoring. And Jesus is saying, this guy, he is of such worth, and you've buried him in your garbage. You've put him in the garbage pile. With, oh, he, this guy doesn't matter. Our rules are what matters. He's saying, no, 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 he's worth healing. He's a broken violin with the name of his creator stamped on him. He's worth healing and restoring. You guys have to understand this. Many in the church today put your worth down and exalt your track record. They begin to even label you by it. Oh, this is the person who got a divorce. Oh, this is the person who went through this. This is the person, no, 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 no. Who cares about all that history? What identifies you is whose name is on you. It's, it, it's interesting in Ephesians 2, it says, the Father of heaven from whom all get our creation has put his name on us. Well, why isn't this person healed? Do they have some kind of secret sin? Do they have poor nutritional habits? Who cares? This is a person of infinite worth that is worthy of being healed and restored because the master's name is on them. So the rest and the Sabbath that Jesus came to bring is not just a day of the week. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a life that never ends. We've entered into a life where Jesus has prepared everything for us, and it's our job to say thank you, to pluck its fruit and eat it. Book of Galatians, the book of Colossians, Paul says, don't get hung up on all the days of the week to celebrate. The rest of the new covenant is a person, not a day of the week. Not only is Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus redefining the Sabbath, but he also dealt with everything that marred creation in the first place. Sin, Satan, sickness, he dealt with all of that. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying, come to me, the unending Sabbath day. Do you see that Jesus has given us ultimate worth? So how do you, how do you determine the worth of something? Okay, there's two ways. Um, the two illustrations I used, that worth was in, uh, was in who created the masterpiece. Okay, because the, that violin was created by the master craftsman, that's what gave it worth. Because C.S. Lewis had signed this rare book, that's what gave it its worth, okay? But there's another uh, way to look at worth. Let me see if I can get through this illustration here. So um, this is a pocket watch that my grandfather gave it to my father. So his father gave it to him. And um, my dad was in his last week of his life. He told my mom, take this pocket watch, and uh, after I pass away, inscribe this on it and give it to Jim. Jim, I'm so proud of you. Love Dad. How much do you think this is worth to me? I, I, couldn't, I couldn't put a value on it. That's another way to determine value is how much is it worth to the person who owns it? What are you worth to God? You're worth the value that he put on you. He said, you are worth my very own son. You are worth the blood of God. And Jesus is letting this man know, and he's letting you and I know, you are worth healing. 
Jesus said, not only is the Sabbath about making man whole, not only is, it God's gift to the, uh, is this God's gift to mankind, but to go and show how much that uh, you were worth by bearing your sickness, carrying your pain, by his stripes you were healed. You were worth the blood of God. Somebody please get this. You are worth being healed. Do you see why Jesus was so determined to heal people on the Sabbath? It's so he could bring to focus these ideas. This is what Sabbath is all about. This is the heart of God. We're not going to let you pervert it with your stupid rules. Luke chapter 14, verse 3. Let's let's hit verse 4 again. Verse 3. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Ready for this? Then he took him. This is Jesus. Then Jesus took him. Another translation says took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. Now, we've seen lots of ways that Jesus is healed. He's laid hands on people. He's uh, done strange things with his spit. We've, um, we've seen him uh, speak the word. We've seen him um, just do lots of different things. But here, what, how does Jesus heal him? He heals this guy by embracing him. Isn't this isn't an interesting way to heal? So Jesus, uh, he sees this as a trap. He says something to the Pharisees. He must get up from the table and embraces this guy and heals him and sends him on his way. It's the only time in scriptures I can find where Jesus healed somebody with an embrace. I want you to notice this. The man had nothing to do with it. Just like every one of us on the Sabbath. We've got nothing to do with it. I guarantee this guy didn't know why the Pharisees gave him a front row seat. He didn't know why he was there. There's no record that this guy had any specific faith for Jesus. And we didn't say that he didn't believe in Jesus. It's just that wasn't part of the equation for the story. That's not what Luke was bringing out. He certainly didn't ask for the healing. He's just standing there in his condition that was obvious that he needed healing. He had nothing to do with it. I want you guys to get this. The Sabbath rest of God, which isn't just a day. It's now a person that we can live in. The Sabbath is the grace of God. At the beginning of creation, Adam's first day with God was Sabbath. It was grace. It was everything is done for you. What did Adam do on the first? Uh, what did Adam find on the first day? Everything was done, and his only part was to say, Oh, thank you. This looks delicious. Oh, this tree over here. This looks amazing. It was like a little baby who was born when the nursery was already completed. This is grace. Adam didn't have to plant the seed. He didn't have to wait for harvest. He was born at harvest time. That's grace. You get what you didn't earn, and you get what you don't deserve. Remember the manna in the wilderness? On the sixth day, God says, you can collect double. Remember, they said they would collect it for five days. And uh, if they collected more than a day's worth, it's spoiled. But he said on that sixth day, on that Sabbath day, you can collect double and it won't go bad. It would supernaturally stay. Normally, if you had anything left over, it went moldy, it got worms. But God said, not tonight. Every Friday night, manna night is going to miraculously keep. And on Saturday morning, it's on me. You don't have to get up at dawn and go looking for manna, manna because you can get double on Friday. You can have banana bread. You can make whatever you want on it. God said every Sabbath day, Uh, I want you to celebrate with a good sleep. You don't got to get up in the morning and work for it. Celebrate with a good sleep. Remember, it's a gift that I gave you. I gave you miracle food on Friday night. And then there was a Sabbath year. Every seventh year, you could take a year vacation. Some of you are like, Jim, tell me more about the Old Testament law. (laughs) There's parts of it that I'm very interested in. Every seventh year, you took a one-year vacation. And on the sixth year, God would double your harvest. So all your trees would be double. Everything would be double so that you would have it. Isn't that amazing? What's he doing? He's giving us a principle of the Sabbath that um, when it comes to God, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to entering his rest, it's grace, grace, grace. 
God is giving and you are taking. Well, Jim, this sounds selfish. It doesn't have to be. How about some thankfulness? <laughs> it's like, guys, this thing is so lopsided. There is no paying God back. There is no, well, I'll serve you with my life. Great. He still did everything. Who's giving you the strength to serve him with your life? We got the good deal, not God. Amen. Heaven's not like, whoo we got Baker, man. We've been, we've been hoping for him. He's such a good bargain. Baker on his best day is a doofus <laughs> without the Lord. And even with the Lord on many days, there's some, some doofiosity going on, so yes. Okay, so we've looked at four other miracles of healing on the Sabbath. So this is the fifth one. Um, are you ready for this pattern? In every case of Jesus healing on the Sabbath, they never asked to be healed. Jesus springs in on them unexpectedly. He's illustrating rest. You don't have anything to do to deserve it. What's the rest? It's a picture of our salvation. You don't have anything to do to deserve it. There's the man sitting in the synagogue, the same discussion. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus calls the man forward. He doesn't know what's going on. Heals him. Boom. Remember that one? I think Sean did that one. Um, the poor lady bent over double, trying to find his seat in the back. Jesus calls her forward. She doesn't know why he's call- she's coming forward. He heals her. There's a man born blind sitting there. He's not even, he's not even part of it. He just hears this, have this theological discussion. All of a sudden, Jesus is sticking mud in his eye sockets, and we saw he probably didn't even have eyeballs. He had a, re- he had a creative miracle. Here's this guy standing there, minding his own business. The guy's being set up. He's at this dinner. Why am I doing Jesus comes over. It's incredible. All the healings of Jesus on Sabbath days were a free expression of the grace of God. Guys, we've got to get this understanding and our, our understanding of divine healing. I, I love hearing testimonies about people who are healed, and they didn't even really expect it. I prayed for lots of people, and I can tell you, I didn't really expect it. And when they got healed, I was, I was as surprised as them. I just didn't show it on my face. I'm being honest with you. There's times I feel faith. Not many. <laughs> There's right at time I'm ready to, you know, leap over a wall and run through a troop. And not that many times. Most of the times I'm getting my eyes on Jesus. That helpless dependence. There's nothing I can do. But there's everything that you did. That's where my confidence is. And you give it your best shot. And a lot of times it works. And yay, God. I know it wasn't my mighty faith. I know stories of people who are praying for someone else. And they got healed while they were praying. They weren't even trying to get healed. How many of you guys have heard stories like that before? In all in these uh, 23 stories that we've studied so far, we've seen over and over the compassion of Jesus and the authority of Jesus. I said, if you can get the compassion of Jesus and the authority of Jesus, you got 95% of Jesus' miracles there. Uh, there's faith which was inspired by Jesus. That's all part of the equation. But never, never, never forget that God heals you because you're worth it. God heals you because you're worth it. He made you. His signature is on you. You're worth it. And your track record is transcended by your worth. It doesn't matter why you're in this condition. You're greatly loved in value, and God wants you well. Let me say it again. Where am I at? It doesn't matter why you're in this condition. You are greatly loved in value, and God wants you well. Will you dare to say in your heart, I'm worth being healed? Just between you and God, can you say, God, I am worth being healed? 
Not because you're amazing, because his stamp is on you. The Father's love is great for you. I mean, a baby comes in the world, you're not like, oh, man, they're going to make such a great worker. I can't wait to have them mow the grass. No, you loved them before they ever did anything. Many people are held back from being healed because they've heard that they're not worthy. Many people are held back from being blessed because they've heard that they're not worthy. Your track record is not what's on the table. It's not even part of the equation. Somebody please get this. What's on the table is that God has created you, he loves you unconditionally, and he comes to heal you because you have his worth bestowed upon you. You are worth healing, and this should redefine your entire approach to God. And when you pray for somebody to be healed in the name of Jesus, when you're holding a broken person, you're holding their hands, you're giving them a hug, you're speaking a word to them, you are holding a broken masterpiece. You are holding a broken violin that has infinite value of the blood of Christ. You're holding a broken pocket watch. I haven't got it fixed yet. You're holding a broken pocket watch of infinite value. You're not standing in front of a mere human being. You're praying for a person who shall be alive 10 trillion trillion years from now who is made in the image of God. Stand for closing prayer. I appreciate those own claps. I'll take those. And that. We're, we're, we're going after healing, and we're never going to stop. I mean, I'm going I'm to stop teaching on it weekly at some point, okay? I've already got several other series I can't wait to do. I'm even looking at one in Deuteronomy. Like, wow, that would be amazing. But, um, guys, we've got to keep this before us. We've got, to, we've got to notice. I think step one is you just begin noticing people that are sick. And I bet you some of you guys, you've had your awareness increase. Like, man, I'm seeing sick people everywhere. <laughs> and then you're going to begin to follow those promptings. And you're going to begin to have people complain to you about sickness. And you're going to say, hey, I hope this doesn't sound crazy, but can I pray for you right here? And you expect something good to happen. Have them check it out and all those type of things. And so, um, but we also, you know, we believe in dead raising. And so uh, for some people, this is just offensive. And I, I, like I said, I don't understand it. You can't even be a Christian if you don't believe in dead raising. Amen. You have to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's the entrance exam. You have to believe that you died and were buried with Christ and were raised to newness of life. Like, hello. And so um, we've got a dead raising interest meeting. And so it's going to be in this room right through that wall. I don't even know what the name of that room is. Hope Nation Room. It's going to be in that. So if you're interested, you're not signing up for it. You don't have to uh, wear a dead raising T-shirt or anything like that. And so uh, I, I swear I do want badges so bad. I mean, can you just imagine showing up like dead raising team? Oh, ooh, come on through. So the first vision message I ever did at Zion, I think was maybe 2011. And, um, and I prophesied this, that there would be a day in our city where right next to the obituaries would be a list of dead raisings. That it would become so common. And so, uh, so this is one of our first steps towards that intentionally. And so if you're, you're interested in this, and um, uh, it's, it's not going to be because you're so amazing, it's because God values this. And some people die before their time. And so God wakes them back up. They're sleeping. So I encourage you to come on out for that. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you. And I, I just pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in each person here to recognize they are worth healing. That, Lord, we are of infinite 
value to you. There's no price that we could put on the value that you have for us. And Lord, we just thank you for the Sabbath. Lord, the physical one that we don't have to work all these days and be up to the sweat of our brow. But Lord, that there is a grace that comes upon us. And Lord, we just step into that. But Lord, I just thank you for the, the Sabbath of salvation. That Lord, you paid for it all. We don't have to add anything to it. It's perfect. It's complete. And we say thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, guys, what do you need right now from the Lord? Is it, is it, is it, is it forgiveness of sins? Is it breaking off a bad habit? Is it help in a relationship? Is it financial provision? Is it financial abundance? Is it a healing in your body? I want you to just look to him and just recognize he is Lord of the Sabbath. That's one of his titles. He provided everything. So I want you to just think about that aspect of the cross that he paid for and uh, just say this, thank you, thank you, thank you. It says all God's promises are yes and amen. It's yes from the God side. The amen is for us to face it and say amen means so be it unto me. So get something in your mind here. Let's take about 10 seconds. Get something in your mind. What is it that you need from the Lord? Healing, he bore your sickness, carried your pain. Is it provision? He's the God who supplies all your needs, richly supplies all your needs. Now with that in mind, just say this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can say it as many times as you want. Thank you. Out loud with your mouth. Faith is voice activated. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So Lord, I bless your people to be the most dangerous people in Columbus, Ohio, to represent what you're like in word and power. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our teens will be down here. We uh, would love to agree with you in prayer if you need a miracle. If you need an encouraging word from the Lord, the Bible calls this prophecy. And if you're new here, my wife and I would love to meet you over here in the IMD.